Matthew chapter number two. Matthew chapter number two, be in prayer for pastor as he's in California right now. He's, he's watching his son graduate soon. So Austin is graduating. It's amazing how, how fast the time goes along four years already in college. Matthew chapter number two, thank you for praying for the, the Barry Youth Conference. We got back last uh, evening, yesterday evening, and it was a great time, and, and it was centered really around taking the next step, really challenged the youth uh, to take the next step for the Lord, and uh, really based upon Proverbs 16, chapter, uh, uh, verse 9, where it says, a man's way devises his way. Uh, sorry, a man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. And so that's what it was about, taking the next step. And um, I heard that Sarah Stride had got saved. Uh, Thursday night, she got saved at that, that conference. And I, I just asked her, I said, I, I didn't see you like, slip out or anything. Uh, tell me about it, you know, what, what happened. And she goes, I, I just got saved right in my pew. And I'm thankful that the Lord allows that to happen. We don't have to necessarily go to a pastor. We don't necessarily have to go to anybody. We go straight to the Lord. And uh, I believe a lot of people get saved. Uh, Some people may come forward and they may talk with somebody, but I I believe a lot of people get saved in the pew before they even step out. They make that decision to trust the Lord as their Savior. So I thank you also for those that sponsored and some were able to come uh, that that wouldn't be able to come if you didn't sponsor them. So we we thank you for that as well. Thank you for your prayers. Okay, so uh, Matthew chapter number two. My my lesson, or I guess I'd say the, the title would be Troubled at the Thought of Jesus. Troubled at the Thought of Jesus. You may say that's a strange uh, sermon title. Troubled at the Thought of Jesus. But uh, as we get into the word here, let's, uh, let's pray before we even get into the word this morning. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks. I thank you, Lord, for the reminder of the song that was given to us just a minute ago. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Lord, we give you thanks that you're here this morning. We give you thanks that everybody is able and well amongst us. We pray, God, I pray that your spirit would have reign. I pray that you'd use me, Lord, considering who I am. I pray, Lord, that maybe there'd be somebody here this morning that's not saved or, or just really needs to commit their life back to you. I pray that decisions would be made, and I pray, Lord, that your spirit would work in a way that no man can, can work. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So here in Matthew chapter number 2 and verse 1, it says, When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men uh, from the east of Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Now, I'd read this, and you guys probably read this every, every Christmas, but when I read verse 3, I saw something that I never really took note of before. Verse 3 says, when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Troubled. Troubled at the thought of Jesus. Could a person that's a believer ever get to the point in their life where they get troubled at the thought of Jesus. I looked it up in the Greek. That word troubled, it means to agitate or to stir. So that's what we're, we're, we're going to learn about. Does Jesus agitate you or does he stir you? 
I know you could talk a lot about God in public. You could pray in the name of God in public, a general God, but it seems as soon as you mention the word Jesus, people seem to get offended, don't they? Uh, You could preach a sermon, you could talk about God and the creator God, and as soon as you start to talk about Calvary and the cross, the kids start misbehaving, the phone starts ringing, uh, you know, baby starts crying, your tummy starts speaking to you that it's hungry, because there's a spiritual battle taking place. Troubled at the thought of Jesus. Now, I understand uh, Herod being troubled at the thought of Jesus. He was really insecure. Uh, he, he wanted to reign, uh, and, and he, he wanted his power to, to be displayed. And he, I've even heard that he had killed some of his family members because he wanted to be on the throne forever. Um, Herod, I could understand. Especially, you know, when some foreign wise men come. And they're asking people, uh, you know, have you, where is he that is born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east. And they're, they're asking the community. And then the community brings it maybe to Herod or one of his officials. And then Herod hears it. He's going to be troubled. He's going to be agitated. No doubt Herod would have heard the prophecies that were given about this coming king. Things like in Micah chapter number 5 and verse 2 where it says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto thee that is in, to be, uh, in thee to be a ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting. Perhaps he heard Genesis 49 and verse 10 where it says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. So he's hearing these prophecies, things like in 2 Samuel 7, verse 12, where it says, And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, and I will set up a seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He hears about this, this Messiah coming, about Jesus, and he, and he perhaps knows the scriptures and the prophecies that are given. And not only that, Nature is in on it as well with that star in the sky. And yes, he is agitated or, or troubled at the thought of Jesus. But, but when it says uh, in verse 3, he was, troubled, uh, uh, he was troubled and it says, and all Jerusalem with him, that kind of made me scratch my head a bit. I mean, God's people, the temple and where God was and God's chosen people and all Jerusalem with him. I, I begin to think, and I, I never really looked at that before. I never really thought about it before. God's people getting to the point in their life where the coming of the Messiah was a bother rather than a blessing. If we're not careful, depending upon our heart, it could happen to the same, same to us as well. A little, this may seem like a, a, a silly illustration, but... Does anybody have a dog? Anybody own, any dog owners? Any dog owners? Now, when you walk into the house, you don't necessarily have to see that your dog has done something wrong to know that your dog has done something wrong. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, I just got a dog. He's nine months old now, and he's a handful. He's more of a handful than the two of my children sometimes. And uh, he could be troubled at my presence, uh, depending on what he does. If he has mis. Uh, if he has chewed something up, I'll walk into the house and he'll be in the corner. His head will be down. And before I even know anything has taken place, I will know that something has taken place before I have viewed my eyes upon it. 
He was troubled at my, uh, my presence because what he has done. Sometimes he's been a good puppy. And when he's been a good puppy, I open the door and he's happy to see me. He's troubled at my presence. He's stirred at my presence. Same with us. We could be troubled at his presence. Or we could be troubled, stirred at his presence. First of all, I want to look at here a hardened trouble. A hardened trouble. And we looked at Herod. There's two parties really here. Herod and, and, and the things that were said and the prophecies that were given. I, I could understand it from Herod. But God's people. It's hard to comprehend. It's hard to comprehend. Um, consider their perspective. You know, uh, the, the problem with the situation was their eyes were upon themselves rather than the Savior. I mean, the coming of the Savior was, was announced by these wise men and it pro, was proclaimed in the sky. I mean, salvation, a new dispensation of time. Surely there should be a lot of rejoicing, but there wasn't. They were agitated. They were troubled at the presence of Jesus because their eyes were upon themselves rather than the Savior. And a lot, of, a lot of the confusion, a lot of the, uh, the heartache and, and, and toil, can, well, really, it seems to just disappear when we take our eyes off of ourselves. We begin to look at God. We begin to think about Jesus. And we begin to think about Calvary. We think, begin to think about all the things that God has done and given to us. A lot of that stuff disappears. There's two groups really I want to look at and consider their perspective. They were concerned about what is going to take place next. Oh, the Messiah's come and that's good, but what does this mean next for our nation? What is Herod going to decree? And of course, he did decree something, didn't he? A genocide of those that are two and, and younger. And so that took place. But I also think about when Jesus came riding into Jerusalem after he had had some ministry experience. You come riding into Jerusalem and the people, they, they put those palm leaves down. They begin to say, Hosanna to God in the highest. And I believe there were some that were genuine there. I believe that there were some that were troubled uh, at his presence, that were stirred at his presence. But I also believe that there was some of the opposite as well. I believe those two groups have one thing in common though. The ones that were in the flesh. They were rejoicing in the fact that Jesus was coming to deliver them from the power of the Romans. Not the power of sin. Their eyes were upon themselves rather than the Lord. The Bible says in Matthew 21.10, And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? Their eyes were on themselves. Some were on the Savior. Some were on self. But let's go over. We, we looked at a hardened troubling. A hardened troubling. But what about a heavenly troubling? Let's go over to John chapter number five. John chapter number five. To stir or to be agitated. We're gonna look at troubled as in the sense of being stirred. John chapter number five. In verse one. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. And in these lie a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water, the stirring, the stirring. 
See, these people, this, these four categories of people, we're not looking uh, to Jesus or looking at God as, as an agitation, but rather looking to him as their only hope. Is he your only hope this morning? Is there any other hope that you're trying to hold on to other than Jesus this morning? He is our hope, the Bible says. There's four groups here. Uh, there was those that uh, the Bible says uh, impotent. Impotent folk, that is without vigor, vigorless, weak, sick, or feeble. Limitations were based upon their strength. Those that had no strength were by this, this pool. And the Bible says there lay a great multitude of these, these people littered around this pool as the angel in a season would go down and stir up the waters, trouble up the waters. First person in would be healed. Now I remember in Hamilton, I was walking downtown Hamilton, and there was this old abandoned uh, train station and it's where all the homeless people would like to hang out. And um, every, every year, every day out of the year, except one day out of the year, a food truck comes to this location every day and they provide food for the homeless. And so I was walking by and, and I just saw this great multitude of people with different ailments, I guess you could say, modern day ailments. Walk, and I'm just, just imagining, you know, as it's, they're littered and there's these people and a variety of different people. I just imagine what that pool would have looked like that day. People that are halt. People that were impotent and blind and, and withered. Impotent. Weak. Weak. Those that were weak were waiting for the troubling of the waters. Those that were blind, the Bible says, a veil upon the eyes. They had a limitation based upon their sight. Those that were halt, cripple, or lame, limitations based upon mobility. Withered, those that had uh, shrunk, it means literally to, to be shrunken back or dried up in the context of limbs. Limitations based upon productivity. I begin to think about those people littered around the pool, waiting for a work of God, waiting for a stirring of God. And I began to think, how can we apply that to our life today? Those that are impotent have a lack of power. Do you realize today how weak you are without God? Do you realize today that, that we, we can't do anything without him? I mean, you woke up this morning with breath, you woke up this morning and your heart was beating. Your eyes were able to see and you were able to get out of bed and to come to church. Do you realize that's from God? That's from God. And the people that realize that they're weak were waiting for God to stir them up. It's good. It's okay. It's okay to realize how frail you are. It's okay to realize how weak you are. Because Paul, Paul put it this way. My grace is sufficient for, th for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Those that were blind. Those that, that couldn't see. Those that gives the thought of a smoke upon, uh, uh, in vision that maybe couldn't see or had a little bit of trouble seeing. When you read the word of God, have you ever had problems seeing? 
Have you ever had problems being able to comprehend? Have you ever had a, maybe a bit, of, a bit of a veil up there and saying, Lord, I, I, just, I haven't heard from you in a while. And I really haven't felt the, the, the power and the fire come down. And it's, it's been a long season, Lord. Those that are blind, we're waiting for the troubling of God. What about those that were halt, cripple, or lame? Limitations based upon mobility. They were at the, the, the same pool as well. Those that were withered, limitations on what they could do, were waiting for God to do something. We could be the same as well. These were the categories of people looking forward to God troubling the waters. Do you identify with any of those categories? Today, would you say, yes, I'm weak and I need God? Today, would you say, I'm blind, I can't see without him directing my steps. I can't read the Bible and expect God to, to speak to me without him being present in my life. Or I can't uh, get around and I can't follow God's will without him directing my path. I can't do things for God without him being in it. Jesus asks this question. Verse 5, it says, And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. I mean, this is a long-term thing. Verse 6 says this, When Jesus saw him lie, and he knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? He asked this question which was so very obvious to answer. And we find this, Jesus repeats this throughout scripture, asking questions, asking people questions that even the regular Joe would know the answer to. I mean, uh, it's very obvious. I mean, he's been there a long time, the Bible says. 38 years he'd suffered with this. Been there a long time. And I, I kind of just imagine there might be a, a mat rolled out. And upon that mat, there'd be all of his life's belongings around there. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody throw out a couch the side of the, their house. If you sit in your couch a lot, be careful if you throw that thing out. Because I, I remember just seeing one, and you could tell that person sat in that couch a long time. Especially a leather couch. He sat down in the couch, and it was garbage, and it was thrown at the side of the curb. And you could just kind of see a body figure around the couch where the person spent a long time. I imagine the impotent man, maybe when he kind of shuffled off of his mat, maybe there was a, a body mark where it was less faded from the sun around where he was. He'd been there a long time. But yet Jesus is saying this, wilt thou be, wilt thou be whole? Wilt thou be whole? Now, he could have responded two ways here. He could have got bitter or better. There's only one letter difference between that, bitter and better. And he could have responded with a hard heart, a heart in troubling, and said, well, I mean, gee, look at me, I've been here for so long, and I, I'm not, I haven't left this area, Jesus, and you have the nerve to tell me, do you want to be made whole? And he could have got mad at Jesus. He could have thought, how dare you try to insult me, Jesus? But he didn't, because this is a heavenly troubling that's taking place. And the impotent man answered him, sir, I have no man. See that desperation there? Sir, I don't have anybody. Think about our community. Think about your workplace and your family and your friends. Think about the people that live in this nation called Canada that just don't have anybody. Simply just do not have a, have a man to lead him to the troubling, to lead him to the stirring of God, to lead him to Jesus. I have no man. 
when the water is troubled, to put me in the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. See, Jesus asks questions here. He's asking questions that provoke answers and resolutions. Jesus always seems to do that, doesn't he? Think about back when God did it. He, he has the very first question in all the Bible when Adam and Eve were in the garden. And they ate the fruit and their conscience was defiled. And ever since then, sin has been passed on to us. Because of Adam and Eve, we were born into sin. And, and because of them, we're born enemies with God. We're born separated from God. There must be a time when we get born again and get united back to God through Jesus Christ. And he asks this question as they ate that fruit and they hid themselves and, and their conscience was defiled. He, he says this, Adam, where art thou? Where are you, Adam? He'd, he'd look forward to that time, Adam, Adam and, and God spending time together every day, I'm sure. God would always be greeted with Adam every day, I'm sure. As Adam would look forward, he'd be moved or stirred when God would come. This time he was troubled, agitated, scared, not wanting the presence of God because of what he had done. He said, Adam, where are you? Knowing full well where Adam was. Because when God asks questions, it provokes answers and resolutions. Adam, where are you? I think about blind Bartimaeus. As Jesus heads out of Jericho, and as he's passing out of Jericho, there's this blind Bartimaeus. He was a beggar. And uh, he hears that Jesus is passing by. He hears that, that Jesus, his only hope, is going to pass by him. And he begins to yell out. And he says, Jesus, thou son of, uh, Na- uh, Naz- um, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. The people around him put some pressure on him. They tell him to be quiet. Blind Bartimaeus, hold your peace. But he began to cry out louder. He says, Jesus, have mercy on me. And, and that, that caught the attention of Almighty God that day. A blind beggar. As Jesus is passing by, the Bible says that Jesus stood still. He just had to take that in. He had to take that in that that blind beggar, his full dependence was on the person of Jesus Christ at that time. He had to stand still. Then he says this, he commanded the blind man to be called and they, they bring the blind man unto him and he simply says, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? Ask that question again. An obvious question, a question that the crowd might have said, are you serious? Jesus is asking what this, this blind person wants? I mean, perhaps somebody led, led Bartimaeus to Jesus. Perhaps he had a walker and he was making his way to Jesus and you could Clearly tell through his eyes that he was blind, but yet Jesus is saying, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? Because Jesus, when he asks questions, it provokes answers and resolutions. He says, Lord, that I might receive my sight. Remember the day that you came to the Lord, you said, Lord, I need to be saved. And you received your sight spiritually. Sometimes in your life, you get in an argument with a family member or for, with a friend. And the, and the Holy Spirit begins to work. And maybe, maybe he's worked in this way in your life. And he just said this. Why are you mad? Why are you mad? 
You ever get in an argument with somebody and you think that question, why am I mad? I can't remember why I'm mad, but I'm mad. You can't remember the reason why you had that argument, but, but it was a, you're, you're mad for it. This, the Holy Spirit won't necessarily get into it all, but it just ask a question, why? Or what is the motive behind what you are doing? He's asking us questions to make us who we should be. You can get bitter or you can get better. A one-letter word difference. The infinite man's, he just simply says, Lord, sir, I have no man when the water is troubled. To put me in the pool while I am coming, another one steppeth down before me. Somebody's always there before I am. And I'm longing for the troubling. I'm, I'm, I'm just wanting God to stir me. I'm wanting God to move me. I'm wanting God to do a work. Do you want God to move you, stir you, do a work in your home, in your family, maybe even in this church? To do something in our generation. To do something in the time that we have here left on earth. To think about this. God has placed us here in this generation right now for a reason. I mean, right at the end right at the end of this age of grace. We may very well see the Lord come back. We may very well hear the trumpet sound. And God has said, I'm going to place this generation here right now for a reason. Does that, does that stir you? The thought of Jesus coming back, does that kind of just get a little fire going inside of you? And you say, man, I just, I can't wait for that time. And, and I, it motivates me to live for God. Turn over to Matthew chapter number 14. Maybe today you're not saved and maybe the, the name of Jesus and the things of God, they kind of irritate you. They agitate you. That comes from an improper identity upon the person of Jesus Christ. Now look at Matthew 14 verse 24. It says this. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. The fourth watch. Jesus often comes during that time, doesn't he? He often comes at the fourth watch. The fourth watch is from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., it's normally the time when you feel most fatigued. It's most, normally the darkest portion of the night, the fourth watch. It's the time sometimes when most crime will occur. We call it the fourth watch of the night. And just as this kind of a side note, perhaps you might be in the fourth watch. You're, time, you're in a time of discouragement right now. You're in a time where it's dark right now. Jesus often likes to appear during that time, the fourth watch. Jesus comes to the disciples walking on the sea during the fourth watch. Verse 26 says, And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. They cried out for fear. See, they were, they were agitated or troubled at the thought of Jesus because they weren't able to properly identify who he was. But everything changed when he spoke. Everything changed when they heard his voice. Verse 27 says, But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, 
Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. Be not afraid. Everything changed in a moment of time. Everything changed in a moment of time. I couldn't imagine being in the sea, being in, the, being in that, that storm and seeing Jesus walk. And the, the storm and the winds are, are raging around him, but perhaps there was just kind of this little bubble around Jesus as he walks towards them. They begin to be scared because they weren't properly able to see who Jesus was. Maybe today you just need to make a decision. I'm going to seek to find Jesus Christ. I want to properly be able to identify who he is and where he is in my life. To the point when Peter found out who he was, he said, I want to come out to you on the water. He begins to walk to, out to him on the water. Everything changed in a moment of time. Let's go over to our last thought here, a humble troubling. And that's over in the book of Luke chapter number one. A humbled troubling. A hard, there was a hardened troubling. There was a heavenly troubling. But let's look at this humbled troubling that takes place. Luke chapter number one, when the angel comes to Mary. Verse 28. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she heard him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. God uses words to describe Mary as highly favored. Grace, the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. Does the thought of the Lord favoring your life because of Jesus humble you? I mean, whoa, Lord. I mean, you, you consider me forgiven? You consider me as part of your family, Lord? Whoa, that's beyond, that's beyond comprehension. That's beyond comprehension. John put it this way, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. John's like, whoa, like what, what manner of what context is this in that, that God would look at me and he'd say, I'm, you're part of my family. You're, you're part of the family of God. Think about that. I mean, that's very plain and that's very simple, but just think about that. You're an ambassador of Jesus. You're, you're made heirs, joint heirs of righteousness with Jesus. You, me, that, that, that fail him and go against his will sometimes. He uses words like highly favored when he describes Mary. Another word he uses is blessed, to speak well of someone. The Bible says in Psalms 139 and verse 16, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book, all my members were written, which continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. And then it says, how precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God, how great are the sum of them. Whoa, that, that's, that's a humble troubling right there. To think that God thinks well of you because of Jesus. Does it humble you? Does it stir you at the thought that, 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 that God could think that about you? It does for me. 
Now Mary, she was troubled and she, she was trying to figure out what manner of salutation this was and this angel comes to her and describes these words as upon her life and I think Mary was just kind of like, oh, had to do a double, is there somebody behind me? Like, angel, you're not talking to me, right? You're talking to some, somebody else. She was humble. She had that humble troubling. She was just troubled, stirred at the thought that God, God Almighty could favor me. God Almighty favor you. You're not under his favor if you're not under the blood. Has there been a time when you've come to Jesus? Has there been a time that you've repented of your sins? Has there been a time that you've called upon the name of the Lord? The Bible says if you do that, you'll be saved if you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. To get under I'll conclude by this, by saying this. In 1 John chapter number three, it says this, for if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. But there's that first part that says, for if our heart condemn us. That's being troubled. That's when you get troubled at the thought of Jesus or agitated. Our heart condemns us. We know that our heart is not what it should be. Therefore, we, ne- we have a negative Impact something negatively impacts us at the thought of something positive because of where we stand. If our heart condemn us. But the good news is this. God, he's greater than our heart. He knows all things. He knows your thoughts. He knows your past. He knows what you've done. And he's greater than it all. The Bible says, beloved, if our hearts condemn us not, what's the result? Then we have confidence towards God. Then we could be troubled at his presence. Then we could be stirred at his presence if our heart doesn't condemn us. He's greater than your heart. He can wash the heart. He can cleanse the heart. So here's the thought. Are you troubled at the thought of Jesus? Does it agitate you? Does it bother you? Or are you troubled at the thought of Jesus? We'll have the group come up and sing if they could come up and do that. And I'm going to just end in a word of prayer. As they are singing, as they're coming up to sing, I just want you to feel, feel open to come to the altar. We're, we've got plenty of time. I want you to feel open just to pray with somebody. I want you to feel open just to come. As they come up and sing, I'm going to pray. And then they will sing. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. I pray God... I'll be down at the front, Lord, and I just pray that maybe, maybe someone has the courage enough to come say, I need to be saved. Maybe people need to pray and say, I want to be stirred. I want to be troubled. I don't want to be agitated. Heavenly Father, I pray that your will would be done. I pray, Lord, that somebody be saved this morning. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.